You're listening to Marist Connections, a podcast produced by the Marist Alumni Office, highlighting members of our Marist family, including alumni, students, faculty, staff, coaches, and many more. Hi, everyone. I'm Amanda Benton, Assistant Director of Alumni Relations at Marist and a graduate from the class of 2011. For the third season of Marist Connections, we're bringing you stories of alumni who are making an impact. Today, I'd like to welcome guest Marist alumna Brooke De Palma. Hi, Brooke. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. So in 2011, Brooke hosted the first ever PS I Love You Day for suicide prevention and mental health awareness at her high school. The day takes place in honor of Brooke's father, Joseph, who committed suicide when she was only 14 years old. And the effort began as a way to promote kindness in small but meaningful ways. Her event, which takes place on the second Friday in February, has since been picked up by more than 200 schools across the country and her video message has been viewed more than 80,000 times. PS I Love You has also started a student ambassador program, a scholarship program at West Islip High School on Long Island, and makes a yearly donation to the Long Island Crisis Center. Brooke graduated from Marist in 2018 with a bachelor's in communication and a minor in political science, where she was a polling assistant and head coach for the Marist Poll. Professionally, Brooke is an associate producer at Yahoo Finance. Brooke, thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome that you guys are doing this and connecting with alumni, especially now. Before we jump into the amazing work that you've done with PS I Love You over the last decade, um, how are you dealing with the pandemic? Are you still working from home? I am working out of my mom's house in Long Island. I gave up my New York City apartment. I moved back home to save money on rent, and I am still an associate producer at Yahoo Finance. Very grateful to have my job and to be working for a company like Yahoo at this time, who's taking the proper protocols and not having us return to office. They say January, but with uh, rates increasing in New York City, not quite sure if that will happen. So definitely, Putting mental health first, especially at a time like now and at home with family. Yeah, you mentioned that mental health. A lot of experts think the pandemic is having an adverse effect. Have you seen that? And is there anything you would say to those who are feeling isolated or unmotivated in these times? Yeah, I think that every single one of us can relate to that and say that we all at times feel unmotivated to even get up and roll over to the next room to hop on the computer. It's hard to put ourselves first when most of us want to put everyone else first and want answers now. And those answers cannot be answered right now. I mean, just think about it. You know, unemployment's at all-time high. We're seeing doctors and medical professionals, along with the 2020 election coming up, all vying for answers and vying for who exactly is going to win the election, when's the vaccine coming, and many, many people unemployed at this time. And even take into consideration first responders. Those people are putting themselves in the front lines. Their mental health is crippling. And so I agree with those experts. And I think that while many of them are saying that a mental crisis uh, is coming, I think that we're starting to see that happen right now. Um, Just last month, suicides were higher than the death of coronavirus um, related deaths. And so I think that it's really time, if you haven't already, start exercising every single day, go on walks, get out of your quote unquote office and really get some fresh air because our mental health is more important now than it is ever. Yeah, that's really important. Um, Thank you for for sharing that. You started PSI Love You Day at your high school in 2011. What inspired you to take your personal tragedy and turn it into a force for good for so many people? You know, I think what it was is it wasn't um, 
the idea that, oh, this is going to be a big thing and and I'm going to change the world. Of course, everyone wants to make a lasting impression on the world and, you know, play a huge part in everyone else's journey. But I think at the end of the day, me creating PSL Every Day back in 2011, seven months after I lost my dad, was coming out of an, a place of frustration for me. I think that I was so angry when I heard people say, oh, if that teacher gave me that much homework, I'd go home and take my own life, take my own life. Or, you know, if I had to do this, oh, then you know what, I'm just gonna go and end it all. And people fighting in the hallways and not just at my school at other schools. And so I think it really came out, you know, a, a key part of grief is frustration. And I think that that's where PSA Love You Day came out of. It came out of me remembering then my dad said, I love you. Those are the last three words he said to me. I thought, how can I take those three words, take all this frustration in me, and just hope that I could change one person's life so that they, if they have those thoughts, if they have those suicidal thoughts, then they'll think that someone out there loves them and someone out there cares what they have to say and that their voice matters. And so that's really where PSLVD originated. It originated from a place of frustration and by telling my friends about the idea to ask people to wear purple and come together, uh, you know, it was all up from there by talking to my teachers, by telling my story. And now the 11th year on February 12th, I can't believe it's been 11 years, not only for PS Love you Day, but since I lost my dad. And so, you know, as we continue to face this crisis of mental health, I think this day is more relevant than ever. Of course, a little bias there, but. Of course, you mentioned obviously how much this can help those who are feeling isolated or maybe going through their own crises, but have you also found that you found more connection with other people who had lost someone um, and developed a support system from this? Yeah, you know, tragedies like this really do bring people together. And just recently I met up with a family who lost a first responder father to suicide only a, a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, those are the connections that you wish you didn't have to make. Those are the connections you never wanted to make, you know? Those are the connections where, you know, my sister and I go to their house and talk to them. You know, at points like that, it's like, what do you say? Of course, people say, I'm sorry, and you're so strong, and, and you know, I'm here for you. But I think that what those people, what those family members who just lost someone really need to hear it's okay to talk and it's okay to ask the question why and be angry. And I think most importantly, in retrospect, you know, all those family members that I've met, all those friends that I've met who have lost someone to suicide, I think that the relationships that I've made has encouraged others to tell those family members stories so they haven't brought up those emotions in a long time. I think that it's time to tell that story of the mother who lost a suicide in the 1960s. Tell the story now because it's never too late. And so, yes, I've met tons and tons of people from across the globe, essentially, who have experienced a tragedy like mine. But it, by me telling my story, by my sister and my mom and my friends telling my story, telling their story, essentially, we're encouraging everyone to tell their story. Yeah, and sharing those stories is never a weakness. It's never something to be looked at as uncomfortable. You know, it happened to you and you need to kind of embrace it. And I think talking is so, so important. So I would echo you on that. Thank you, yeah. Really quickly on that point, um, I think that, you know, not only is it important for family members who lost someone to suicide or some sort of mental illness to speak up, but I cannot stress enough the importance that if you're going through something, it's important to tell your story. 
and that your story does matter and it's valid, especially at a time like now. I know I keep saying that, but it's so important to talk to, you know, a family member. And if you can't talk to a family member, go seek professional care. There's no stigma around it. Absolutely. Your your day, your PSA love you is now recognized in over 200 schools around the country. Did you expect it to have such a large reception and what work do you do to continue its growth? I think that it all started when not only I began in my school and I saw a flood of purple on that first PSA love you day, but then when other schools the following year saw what West Islip High School in Long Island had done, they were intrigued. And now keep in mind, it doesn't sound that long ago, but in 2011, 2012, acknowledging the fact that bullying did exist within your school, that suicide was a potential for, you know, some students in the school and that mental health was an issue was unheard of. It was not supported by educators. It was not talked about. And there are some educators out there today who still don't believe that it's a crisis. But I think that by starting by telling my friends, by creating the YouTube video, aka taking you know advantage of social media. I mean, TikTok right now is huge among the demographic that we're looking to hit: Gen Z, millennials, you know, people of older generations, even looking to understand social media in different ways, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Everyone's on it now, and so I decided to put my voice out on those social media platforms. Then ultimately that led to, you know, different people reaching out, encouraging me to say, how do we do this? And, and how can I get this in my school? And so I really think that I didn't create PS I Love You Day. I think that I put out the idea and everyone else's ideas of how you celebrate it really has created it. It really has made it what it is. And, you know, each year I go around and I do assemblies. And of course, I'm going to have to rethink that this year. But I think that really sort of seeing the way that educators now take advantage of PSLV Day as a starting point and create all these different activities like personal essays and letters to home and, you know, not only T-shirt sales, but bracelets and, and self-affirmation activities, that's what it's evolved to. And it's thanks to those educators who believed in me at a time when no one did and has taken it now 11 years later. So you mentioned some of the educator projects. Is that typically what PSI Love You Day looks like? If a school is participating other than wearing purple, what are some examples of what they might do? Some examples of what they might do is character education assemblies. And, and what I mean by that is essentially bringing the conversation forward. So it's not just in the classroom saying, you know, this is, this is the way that you deal if someone's bullying you and this is what mental health is. It's taking these kids out of their comfort zone and having them tell their own story, empowering that young child, that middle schooler, that high schooler, who is quite literally hiding behind their phone and getting them to speak out loud. And I think that that's where the huge disconnect is now, is people posting on social media one thing and acting a completely different way in real life. So how are you supposed to know who's who and how are you supposed to know someone's struggling? I think that PS Levy Day is really about driving that conversation through these assemblies. But in addition to that, you know, wearing pins and, and collaboration and getting kids to go to that club they might not, getting kids to speak to someone that they might not. And really the key part here that I am working on this year and is my goal of this year is taking those conversations in the classroom, in the assembly, and taking them home to parents.
I think that that is really a key launching point and something that I'm constantly working on. Because as you said, I started this because of my dad and increase that awareness at home. A lot of your work seems to be with middle schools and high schools, and I. but I know you brought it to Marist as well while you were here. Um, are you working with other colleges or did it look different at Marist than it does in a middle school or how did, how did Marist participate and has that kind of changed kind of the function or focus in any way? I, well, Marist participated by setting up the rotunda and putting different activities and having all the clubs bring their own, such as, you know, the Purple Thread brought uh, their chain links and had people write something that makes a good friend on that and connect it to another link. Uh, I was a part of Tri Sigma in college, and so they had a poster board full of affirmations, take one, leave a post-it note, et cetera. So really was, like I said, a collaboration of different clubs coming together and celebrating the day. Also, we had a yoga event once year, uh, one year. And so really, um, I encourage like student government to continue it, and Sigma I know is playing a part in it this year. Um, also, we had the Mid-Hudson Bridge light up purple in honor of PS Levy Day. So it was really about engaging the local community as well to, you know, talk about it. And even though not many people knew probably that that bridge was lit up purple for PS Levy Day, walking while well, driving through it, I know that it probably put a, a smile on their face. Well, why is it purple? Asking questions, wondering, possibly, you know, Googling it. So I really think by... Um, by doing that, it sort of got the community engaged. Um, I think that what's crazy is that not only did Mara celebrate, but then as my friends, you know, younger people, family members went on to college, they too brought it to their school. So we've had, you know, Mount St. Mary celebrate. My sister brought it to Cortland. And a lot of these schools interpret it each on their own. So while some did assemblies, uh, you know, others did, uh, you know, sorority events, fraternity events, even swim teams got talking and, you know, their coaches reiterating that if you have, you know, any sort of suicidal ideations or you're going through a hard time, come to me, I can talk. So really, you know, professors and, and coaches and clubs ultimately collaborating to bring it to campuses was really, really cool to see. And, and we continue to see that. We have about 50 colleges who bring it and it's really just students taking the lead and saying, I want to celebrate this and bringing it to their campus. Can individuals who aren't currently at school or involved with a specific school get involved? Is there ways for like general community members to help out? I think that the biggest way that general community members can help out is this is honestly, it doesn't just need to be on PSW day. It's really every day by, you know, doing little things like opening the door for someone or, you know, doing an act of kindness or helping your neighbor. Um, you know, for me right now, even though we're socially distant, literally going on a walk around my neighborhood and saying hi to people, you know, it makes my day and I hope that it makes other people's day. Um, but when it comes to specifically PSL every day, I really think that the way to get involved is not only wearing purple, but really trying to understand other people's mindsets and walk in other people's shoes. And hopefully this day sparks that idea in them to reach out to someone that they haven't before or reach out to someone they haven't talked to in years. Um, I think that that really is, you know, the nitty gritty of it. Really getting involved is just changing your mindset and understanding that someone might be going through a hard time and reaching out to them. So wear purple, of course, on February 12th next year, but really, really think about your own mental health first 
and then think about someone you haven't talked to in a while and reach out to them. You mentioned obviously some changes in the last year and in the coming year based on the pandemic. And what are your goals for the coming year, the next two, three years? Um, are you hoping to go virtual with some of your assembly talks or? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this whole year has been trying to wrap our head around how exactly to tackle, you know, our goals. And and I've definitely done a lot of, you know, mindsetting this year also doing some relaxing, which I feel like I haven't done since I graduated in 2018. Um, but I think that the way that my sister and I and our fellow directors of PSW Day are approaching it is engaging with people on social media, engaging with people on live interactions. And I'll be honest, many of us are sick of sitting on Zoom, sitting on Google Hangouts. So we're really trying to figure out different ways to get people involved through social media that is ultimately a chain reaction, no time requirement, but really just a time that works best for you to take action. Um, some ways we're doing that is, you know, social media campaigns. We're constantly engaging on our Instagram page. You know, ultimately education at the brunt of this is so important. So encouraging others to attend mental health assemblies and working with places like the Long Island Christ Center. Um, I think really the way that we're trying to tackle it is via social media, as well as trying to engage people in person-to-person -person relations by going out, by walking, by getting out, and stuff like that. So you're really running like a, a small company with event planning. What have you learned from starting and hosting PS I Love You, both from a business perspective and I guess also like an emotional, social, societal perspective? Well, for one, I think I learned a lot about myself um, when it comes to deadline setting and goal oriented. I mean, we started out by just saying we wanted one person in that assembly when I was 14 to, um, to, to you know, change their mindset and to save. I really wanted to save one person. And then all of a sudden, now 11 years later, our goal is 270 schools and to reach, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Um, in addition, on top of that fundraising for local organizations who have real-time callers, real-time texters. Um, so I think really no dream is too big. That's the lesson that I learned. I think I learned a lot about myself in a way that there are certainly times where I can get discouraged on top of my daily job as, as an EP at Yahoo Finance, doing this at night. Um, I have to check in on my own mental health many times saying, Brooke, like, are you loading your, your book too big? You know, are you overstocking yourself? You're overpiling yourself. And there are people out there who are doing this far better than I could. But I think to myself, well, I can and I will, but everything takes time. And I'm a person who wants everything now, now, now. I want answers. I want reasons. I want to solve the mental health crisis. But I think that essentially it's about taking a step back and saying, well, what can I do right now? And I think that's something that I've learned. And I think that's something that my board and I are working together to tackle. I love that motto of I can and therefore I will. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just such a positive outlook. Is there a moment that you're most proud of? I mean, obviously the entire thing is phenomenal, but is there something that kind of stands out at you as like that was really successful or really heartfelt or meaningful to you? So I have to be honest, I feel like I've had the honor of meeting so many people from across the board 
of course, you know, when I was actually 11th grade, I told the story of PSW Day and it got me to essentially be voted by 400 girls through American Legion Auxiliary to go down to DC for a week. And we got to go to the West Wing and I'm so proud of that. And that was really cool. But I think what makes me most proud is when a person comes up to me and says, I haven't told this to anyone. I haven't told this to anyone, but my parents are going through a divorce and I'm having a really hard time. Or when someone comes up to me and they said, I lost my family member to suicide and my parents don't really talk about it. I don't really talk about it. I don't really like to talk about it. And I say, well, talk to me. What were they like? What was their name? And, you know, like I said, we met such incredible people and, and who have gone through similar things that we have. And so last year, one of those people I met afforded my sister and I the opportunity to attend the America's Foundation for Suicide Prevention Gala. And there we got to sit at a table of people who experienced similar tragedies. He's actually on the board of AFSP. And to invite us to that dinner, that was a, a proud moment because I told my story. That's first I'm most proud of, having the ability to tell my story encouraging others to tell their story and having the opportunity to meet those people who share a similar tragedy. And at that event, you know, we heard Anderson Cooper speak and Anderson Cooper invited us to the front and we got to talk to him and, and he asked what PS Levy Day was. And it just reiterated the fact that you should be so proud of yourself that you're telling this story. And so I think I'm so proud of when people come up to me and share their story. I think that's what really, really changes my mindset and keeps me determined. A lot of times that may be uncomfortable for someone who doesn't have experience. What would your advice be to someone, you know, not that they're in a crisis. I think that the first thing I do when I'm sort of having a panic attack or, you know, I think about the loss of my father is really just take a breath first. I think that people are so quick to escalate a situation when your mindset leads you to that. And I think everyone, like I said before, needs to take a step back and really take a breath and realize that you are going through many different crises on top of your own. And so I think that a person who is currently struggling to contain, you know, everything going on, well, first of all, that's valid because there's a lot happening. And second of all, I think that first step is sitting down and writing three things that are worrying you about the world. Take those three step, three things and then take them to someone and tell them, you know, I'm really worried about this. I can't believe this is happening. Whether that be your parents, your friend, pick up the phone and chat, forget texting, forget DM, forget Snapchat, forget TikTok, go to a person, call them if you can't physically meet up with them in person and share those things that are worrying you. But that takes the first step, acknowledging within yourself what's really your biggest fears and then going to someone else and talking about it. And then pretty outgoing. So, you know, I, I go talk to people all the time, but if you're an introvert, then take those three things and there's crisis text line, text, text someone, there's Long Island Crisis Center, call someone, or simply if you are really, really struggling, I know many, many people go to social media as a way. Post that because I promise you people care and people will respond if, if you can't go to someone in person. And what advice would you have for someone who is reached out to? Like, what is kind of the best way to respond to someone who comes to you with their their concerns or their even just sharing a tragedy that happened in their lives? That's such a good question. You know, for me personally, if I see something on social media or if someone comes to me, I really think 
that everyone just wants to be heard. That's the thing is we're all trying to solve this big crisis and we're all trying to understand mental health and depression and suicide ideation, but all people want is a listening ear. And of course it takes huge, huge power for that person to go out of their way and take those three things and, and bring them to you. It takes a huge amount of power for that person to pick up their phone and text or call. It's no easy task. So I think that someone who receives a person who's in dire need of an ear, just listen. You're not a professional caregiver. And if you are, then, then kudos to you because the work you're doing is incredible. But if you're not a professional, then simply listen. Simply listen, and then I think what the biggest takeaway I've learned over the past few years is empathy. It, tell them about your experience. Of course, you can't relate exactly, but I went through something similar actually, and this is how I helped. And if those don't help, then keep in touch with that person. Touch base every once in a while, see how they're doing. And if it's a complete stranger, well then that stranger, you have no idea the sort of impact you have on that person for just reaching out or them reaching out to you and you listening. So on the theme of advice, since you know, you're spouting so many words of wisdom right here, on a slightly different note, what advice would you give for someone else who wants to make an impact, whether they want to start their own foundation or their own day or you know, reach a large group of people with their message? So first, I think um, creating a goal for yourself is super important. I think saying, okay, well, what exactly do I want to do here? For me, it was to help those who are suffering from depression, to prevent suicide and end bullying. I think that was my key goal. So ultimately identify what your key goal is. But I think the most important thing is to start small. I started in my high school. I never thought it would get this big. Of course, everyone dreams of having these Fortune 500 companies and you know being a CEO and going public on the, on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, everyone has those dreams. Everyone has those dreams of, you know, their, their, uh, their nonprofit being at the forefront of the conversation. But I think that taking a step back and realizing why are you really doing this? For me, it's my dad. For me, it's that goal. I think ultimately heading to my community and sharing those goals and finding people who have similar mindsets and who want the same thing as me, that was the first step when I was 14. And, you know, since then it's definitely picked up. But those goals and doing this for my dad is still why I do it. The most important quote, one of the most, I know I'm spewing a bunch of important quotes, but a lot of, you know, the quotes I live by, my colleague at work told me is to always be hungry and humble. And I think that really stuck with me because I'm hungry to solve this crisis and I'm hungry to ultimately feed myself the answer why my dad did what he did. But I think throughout this all is I remain humble and I keep my dad's personality every single day you know, through me, through this day, and by meeting up with these people who, you know, experience similar tragedies, you know, it, it definitely, it definitely keeps you humble, humble in a, in a sobering way. Um, so really just stick with the root, identify your goals and take action by finding people who have a similar mindset as you. What you're doing is such a testament to his memory and how he raised you. It's, it's so wonderful. Well, thanks. Means a lot to me. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Any final notes? I think that's the most important thing is that it's okay not to be okay. I think that really, really is. And a lot of us feel guilty taking time off of work when we're working from home. 
You're like, well, you can stay in your pajamas all day. And also shout out to those educators because my mom and my sister are going to work every single day. But for those of us who are working at home, it's okay to take a day off. It's okay to call in sick if you're, if you're, you know, having some, some, some sad thoughts or scary thoughts. And it's okay to go out and get some fresh air on a busy work day. And I think that me being me, I'm very type A. I constantly need to be logged on. Um, creating hours for myself really helped. And, you know, this 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 week I'm, I'm going to take off for the first time in a while. And so I'm encouraging others to do the same and really check in on yourself as well as others. Thank you. That's a great note to end on. Um, Brooke, thanks you once again for taking time out of your obviously busy schedule for us. For those listening, we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our series of alumni making an impact. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can keep in touch and know every time we post a new episode of Marist Connections. We will continue to bring you conversations with alumni as well as students, faculty, staff, coaches, and others essential to the Marist community. If you have suggestions for future podcast themes or guests, please email them to maristalumni at marist.edu. You can also check us out on Facebook or official Marist Alumni on Instagram. Have a great day, everyone.